Welcome to Corvette Today, the podcast that talks about everything Corvette, with your host Steve Garrett, MC and DJ at one of the largest Corvette weekends in the country, Corvette Fun Fest, president of the Corvette Club of Kansas City, Missouri, and radio disc jockey at the number one radio station in Kansas City for over 40 years. Here's Steve Garrett. Hey, thanks for listening to Corvette Today, the podcast that talks about everything Corvette. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. I appreciate you tuning in. You can listen to Corvette Today on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Anchor.fm, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Overcast, TuneIn, and Stitcher. You can also listen on your smart device. Just say, hey, Google or Alexa, play the podcast called Corvette Today, and you're connected. Also, visit the Corvette Today website. It's CorvetteTodayPodcast.com. You can also sign up for Corvette Today notifications, updates, and information at CorvetteToday.ck.page. And don't forget to join the Corvette Today Facebook group. We have over 1,400 members. I'd love to have you as a member as well. I'd like to thank our flagship sponsors of Corvette today. Our new one is Haltech Systems. Haltech makes the best cold air intake with world-class performance for your C5, C6, C7, and C8 Corvette. It's the quickest and fastest intake with no cutting or hacking. It's just plug and play and no throwing codes either. Get your special Corvette Today discount of 11% off with the code CT11 online at HaltechSystems.com. You can call them at 262-965-4300. That's 11% off at H-A-L-L-T-E-C-H Systems.com. Or call 262-965-4300 and get your Corvette Today discount. This offer excludes carbon fiber intakes. Also, midenginecorvetteforum.com. If you'd like to join a new vibrant forum that focuses on the new mid-engine Corvette, it's free to join this friendly community. You'll meet a lot of fellow Corvette enthusiasts like yourself at midenginecorvetteforum.com. My guest on Corvette today is a photographer. He's been photographing since 1991. He loves shooting motorsports as well. As a matter of fact, he's published three books. His work has been seen in over 400 publications in more than 80 countries. His clients include Aston Martin, Audi, Bentley, Ferrari, Jaguar, Michelin, Mobile One, Lexus, Mercedes-Benz, Chevrolet, and a lot more. His editorial clients also include USA Today, Road & Track, Car & Driver, Motor Trend, Auto Week, The New York Times, Forbes, Vet, and Corvette Magazine, and a lot more. As a matter of fact, he's fresh back from Road Atlanta, where he just shot the Corvette racing team, Mr. Richard Prince. Richard, welcome to Corvette Today. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here with you. Thank you very much. Richard, let's talk about your early years. When did you know you wanted to become a photographer? <laughs> well, there was no, no plan from the beginning to become a photographer. I, I sort of uh, backed my way into it completely by accident. The photography actually began as an outgrowth of my writing. So I began initially writing for a car magazine, Vet Magazine, in fact, and that even happened by accident. My wife and I, out of grad school and fresh off other unrelated careers, went into the old car restoration business in 1988. We specialized in Corvettes, but always had a variety of other cars, both foreign and domestic in the shop. We typically had about 20 old Corvettes and then half a dozen of something else. And one day my wife wrote a letter to the editor of that magazine that was D. Randy Riggs. He called with a question about her letter, and he called the shop because that's the number she provided. 
after he finished discussing the letter and his question, he asked if she might be interested in writing a column for the magazine. He was looking for somebody with extensive hands-on experience with Corvettes who could write a monthly column. She had no interest whatsoever, but she said, hey, maybe my husband might be interested. Let me get a hold of him. So she got me in from the shop. I spoke with Randy for literally one minute. And it was a real simple, basic conversation. I look back now and I kind of laugh at how quickly and easily we came together. He asked me if I'd be interested in writing a column. I said, well, about what? What kind of a column? And he said, it's entirely up to you. If you want to do it, you can write about anything at all of interest to the hobby. Wow. And I said, okay, I'll make a deal. I'll do that column with you. I'll give it a try. And if I like it, and want to keep going, and if you like what I send you, and you want me to keep going, we'll keep going. Otherwise, we'll just part friends. Can we agree on that? And he said, sure. So that's how I actually started. It wasn't for a living. It was just for fun. It was a diversion, actually, for me. It was great. I really, really enjoyed it. And uh, that column didn't require photography. But once I got going, in short order, they asked me if I might do some event coverage, some car features, and those did require photography. Initially, somebody else was assigned to do that. I quickly got frustrated. Literally half the time, the photographer didn't even show up. When they did show up, half the time, the photos were no good. There was always an excuse. The biggest excuse was the lab in the film. Now, I wasn't a photographer, but we photo documented all of the work that we did in the shop. Every day we were taking photos, and over the span of a week, we'd have 20 or 30 rolls of film process, and that was week after week after week, and I never had a lab ruin the film. It just never happened, so sure. <laughs> I said, how many times can the lab ruin your film? Sounds like BS to me. So, again, it wasn't my job. It was purely for the enjoyment, and I said, this is taking the fun out of it. If I'm going to keep doing this, I've got to do my own photos. So that's really how I started. That's amazing. So... Obviously, you came into automotive photography just very naturally, didn't you? Well, it was to support my own writing initially, yes. and I was quite fortunate. At that point, I was working regularly with two different publishers, one being CSK Publishing in New Jersey. That was the publisher of that magazine and various other titles. And the other one was a magazine called, at that time, it was called Classic Auto Restorer. I was fortunate in that I had some help and some good advice, particularly from Randy Riggs, at the beginning of my photography career. I had no formal training and no real experience and made all the same basic mistakes that just about everybody else makes. But because I had an existing relationship with these publishers, they were willing to help me along in the beginning. And Randy in particular is an accomplished photographer and a good guy, and he was very helpful to me in the beginning to get me going. And after that, it was pretty easy. I'm not the least bit hesitant to say I learned a lot from other more experienced photographers all along the way. Although I do say from some of them I learned what to do and from others I learned what not to do. That's how I got going and even then never intended to make a living at it. It wasn't until a few years later that it really blossomed into a business and a new career for me. I was going to ask you, when did you really consider that you're a professional photographer? Well, my wife and I sold that restoration business in 1995, spent uh, half of 96 finishing the uh, restoration of one of our own cars. So I still had one car apart and knew I needed to put it back together then or else it would stay apart for a long time. <laughs> so that occupied half of 96. 
And when that was completed, we took it to Bloomington where it was displayed in the special collection. And then we were sort of free. Uh, we had no obligations. We had no debt, no mortgage, no child, no business, and had some time to think about what we wanted to do next. Thought, well, in the meantime, this automotive writing and photography is enjoyable and I can do it from anywhere. We'd bought a motor home and we were traveling around the country and I was writing and doing photography along the way, still never intending to make a career out of it. We were, again, in a good position to take time to think about what to do next. And we contemplated buying a business, starting another business, going back to prior careers. We had complete freedom to do as we wished. But again, in the meantime, the automotive writing and photography was fun and I could do it from anywhere. So I continued doing it the rest of 96 into 97. And then I got a phone call from somebody at Chevrolet that really profoundly changed my career course. That was in uh, 1997. Tell me more about that. That's got to be a great story. Yeah, that's another serendipitous situation. A man named Gary Claudio called me out of the blue. It was a funny conversation. He called and asked for Richard Prince. I said, this is he. And he said, my name is Gary Claudio. I'm with Chevrolet, and I want to ask you a question. But before I ask you that question, I have to know, can I trust you? And I immediately thought this is one of my buddies, and it's some kind of a prank. <laughs> I don't get the joke. I said, I'll play along. Sure. So I said to him, Gary, you can trust me with your life. What do you need, pal? <laughs> <laughs> and again, I thought it was just a prank. Sure. It wasn't a prank. Gary was the manager of what then was called the Chevy Race Shop, and that was the marketing arm of Chevrolet Racing. Okay. So he was the manager of marketing for Chevrolet Racing, mm -hmm. a huge Corvette enthusiast. He was at an art show, an automotive fine art society show in Michigan in 1992, and he saw a painting on display there by an artist named Charles Maher. He wanted to buy that painting. Gary wanted to buy it. And the artist explained to him that it's not for sale. He can't sell it. It was a commission done for a couple in New York, and they own the car depicted in the painting. Uh, and that, that car was the 1967 Sunray DX L88 Corvette race car. Wow. That was in 1992. Five years later, Gary Claudio is in a planning meeting at Chevrolet, and they were discussing, among other things, the livery for the coming Corvette factory road race program. They were contemplating what colors to make the car, what graphics. That's the C5Rs. And Gary remembered that painting, and he thought, wouldn't it be cool to make the C5Rs similar to that 1967? The 67 Sunray DX car was red, white, and blue. They ended up not making the C5Rs red, white, and blue because Goodwrench came on board as a sponsor, so the cars were initially the Goodwrench colors, which were black and silver. But it revived Gary's memory of the Sunray DX car. He was planning a display at the SEMA show in 1998. That's where they were going to publicly unveil the coming factory Corvette race program. And he wanted to put together a display of historic Corvette race cars for that unveil. And he remembered the Sunray DX 67 Corvette and thought, hey, maybe if I can get in touch with the people who own it, maybe I can borrow that car for Chevrolet. So that's why he was calling me. He tracked down the artist, Charles Maher, and from Charles got my phone number. And he was calling to ask if he could borrow the car. But he had to, of course, explain to me what he wanted to borrow the car for. And that's where he needed to know if he could trust me because the program, miraculously, was still a secret at that point. The first car had been constructed, the first 
test car had been constructed at Pratt & Miller Engineering. They were just getting underway doing the development work with it. That was in 1997. They had a whole other year of development work, and we're going to go racing starting with the Rolex 24 at Daytona in 1999. So there was still a year and a half of testing and development to be done, during which they were going to try to keep the program secret. So he explained to me that they were going road racing with Corvette, and that's a secret, and please don't tell anybody, and he wanted to borrow my car for the SEMA display. And a light bulb immediately went off in my head. Again, I was free. My wife and I were traveling and had no obligations, didn't have to be anywhere at any time. And I thought, well, this sounds like fun. I've got time and I've got the wherewithal. And I thought, hey, I can follow this program. And when it's finished, it was supposed to be a three-year program. When it's finished, I'll do a book. So I said to Gary Claudio, hey, I'll make you a deal. You said you need to know if you can trust me. And I told you, you can trust me with your life, Gary. Here's what I'd like. I'd like your permission to get embedded with this team and to follow the development of the test car the build of the race cars every step of the way. Whatever happens, I'd like permission to photograph it. I'll follow it until they go racing, and then I'll follow it for the three years that they do race. And when it's finished, I'll produce a book. And without hesitating, he said, it's a deal. You've got permission. So that's how I got involved, and that really did alter the course of my career. That's amazing. What a great story. Yeah, it's been uh, quite a ride. That's what got me involved to begin with, and I followed the plan. So for the first year and a half, I was in the wind tunnel, in the chassis lab at the Milford Proving Ground, the track tests at Pratt & Miller for the build of the cars, and then began shooting all of the races. The only, <laughs> the only glitch in the plan was it turned out to not be a three-year program as initially proposed. So they were going to race 99-2001, and toward the end of that, Chevrolet renewed for a year. And at that point, I was enjoying it, and I already invested almost five years, and I said, well, what's another year? I'll stick with it another year. Right. Toward the end of the 2001 season, they renewed another year. That's amazing. And I said, well, I'll do it another year. That would be the fifth year. Before that year was finished, something life-changing happened. My wife became pregnant with our son. That marked a turning point in my career. Up until that point, it had been all fun and games. So my perspective on everything changed. And I thought, well, this racing business has been very enjoyable. I've not made a great deal of money doing it, primarily because I didn't devote myself to earning a living at it. I was doing it purely for the enjoyment. Looking ahead, I said, well, now I'm responsible for a baby, for a growing family here. I need to dedicate myself to building a career, doing something here. And that's when I really started to think about making a career out of it, developing it into a viable business. Very nice. I tell you what, let's take a quick break, but in segment number two, we're going to talk more about your professional work. In segment number three, we're going to talk more specifically about your Corvette photography. You're listening to Corvette Today, the podcast. Hey, honey, are you awake? Mm, I am now. I can't sleep. Since turning 50, I keep dreaming of a red door and a blue door, somehow knowing there are only choices for retirement. Okay. Through the red door, we outlive our money. We have to rely on our kids. We're stuck on a fixed income. It's terrifying. Yeah, that would suck. But through the blue door, our money outlives us. We retire on our terms. Our kids stay our kids, not our caretakers. We make work optional. Yes, that's much better. That's what 
what I want too. But what do we do? We call True Wealth and Company at 913-653-8783. They specialize in helping successful people make work optional. They're our fiduciary Blue Door personal wealth managers. Hey, where are you going? It's 3 a.m. I can't sleep. I'm going to check out True Wealth and Company online at retirewithtrue.com. That Blue Door is going to be our retirement. 913-653-8783. Visit us online at retirewithtrue.com. Investment advice offered through True Wealth and Company, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the state of Kansas. And now, back to Corvette Today with your host and my husband, Steve Garrett. Thanks for listening to Corvette Today. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. We're talking with famous Corvette photographer, Richard Prince. Richard, before we get into all the Corvette stuff, which is the meat of everything, let's talk about your professional career with other corporate automotive clients. Let's talk a little bit more, as I did in the introduction, about who else you've worked for besides Corvette and Chevrolet. Well, over the years, I've worked for just about all the major manufacturers as well as some of the smaller ones. A lot of them have come and gone as projects have come and gone. Some have been more consistent and more enduring. Certainly, Cadillac is at the top of the list. Done the racing photography for Cadillac since they went racing initially with the World Challenge Program. 2003, I believe, was the development year. 2004 was the first race year. So I've been with Cadillac racing since then in both World Challenge and in IMSA. They've got a pretty comprehensive prototype program uh, now in IMSA that's been going for several years, and that's been an absolute delight for me. I love the people at Cadillac. I love what they've done with the brand. I've also done a significant amount of production car photography for Cadillac, particularly with the performance variants, the V-Series cars in recent years. Chrysler has been another long-term client. And again, mostly focused with the performance cars. I did a tremendous amount of Viper photography for FCA, both production cars and race cars again, and have done some of the Hellcat, Challenger, Charger photography in recent years. I had a pretty long run with Ferrari North America, doing a wide variety of photography for them, the Ferrari Challenge series, Formula One in North America, and as well, a lot of event photography, facilities photography. So that's been a long-term prolific relationship. Some manufacturers, it's been one project here, one project there. Jaguar, Land Rover, did a little bit for Mazda in years past, a little bit for Audi. And some related but non-automotive clients as well, like ExxonMobil. We've had a very long relationship with them. That's been an absolute delight. I won't start naming names, but the, <laughs> the people there. And then this is the case with most clients. You can love the machinery. The cars are obviously a big part of my life, but ultimately more important than the cars. It's always the people. It's an absolute delight to work with good people who are creative and visionary and enthusiastic and devoted and really into their work. That's a big part of what keeps me going and keeps me interested is the great people that I've had an opportunity to work with. Fortunately, it was never my intention. It's just the way that the business has evolved for me. Almost all of my automotive work has involved performance cars, enthusiast cars, and it sort of perpetuates itself. I sort of become known as the guy for the performance cars. I have nothing against the the more mundane, the passenger carrying, (laughs) economy cars, and so on and so forth, but I typically don't get the call for those. I get the call for the Corvettes and the Vipers and the V-Series 
Cadillacs and the Jaguars and the Ferraris. So that's added some excitement and interest for me over the years. Very true. And your work has been featured in over 400 publications. Talk about some of the publications that you've been in with your photography. Well, that has been and, and remains, the editorial side remains an important part of my work. I started off, as I explained earlier, writing a column for a Corvette magazine. For the first few years, did only editorial work. When I first came to racing in 1999, the more experienced photographers who had been doing racing for some number of years all said the same thing to me. This is a fickle business. It's unreliable. It comes and goes. It's very hard to make money here. The good clients, the car companies, the tire companies, the oil companies, they're in one day, they're out the next day. Don't give up your day job. They all said the same thing. My day job was the editorial work. So I never gave up my day job. I continued to write and do photography for editorial clients in America and around the world. Even after the racing ramped up, I defied the typical trend in racing where clients come and go. A lot of my clients did come and go, but my anchor clients like Chevrolet and Cadillac in particular, they haven't gone. <laughs> They've been consistent for me for more than 20 years now. So I ended up with two and a half full-time jobs. The racing became a full-time job for me. There were many years where I was doing American Le Mans series, Grand Am series, Ferrari Challenge series, IndyCar, open wheel racing series, and then some one-off races, some NASCAR races, 24 hours of Le Mans, some Formula One races, and it occupied the entire year. But at the same time, I never gave up that editorial work, ended up with some long-standing relationships there, and it just sort of spread out. So that's been great. It's a different business in a lot of ways, and it's difficult in a lot of ways. It's gotten increasingly difficult as the internet has profoundly changed the way that we consume editorial content. So I've had to adapt and change with the changing times, but it's been uh, very rewarding. I've enjoyed it very much. It's provided a lot of variety and a lot of freedom the editorial side of it has been a big part, and I've enjoyed it. Speaking of variety, talk about some of the places and the countries you've been to do some of these shoots with all these different races and different clients that you've worked for. As I said before, the people that I've met along the way and that I've had the opportunity to work with have been more important to me than the cars themselves. It's been a big part of it. In the same vein, the travel and the opportunities to go places and see things that I never, ever would have otherwise seen has been a very, very satisfying part of my career. I've been to 49 of the states in this country and to about 21 or 22 different countries around the world. Most of that, not all of it, but most of that has been related to my work. I've seen all of Western Europe, much of Eastern Europe. Uh, a couple of years ago, had the opportunity to go to China to cover a race there. I've been to France for the 24 hours of Le Mans, I think 28 times now. Wow. Yeah, it's been great. And then Canada and Mexico many times. So it's been fascinating. We're going to take a quick break, but in segment number three, we're going to talk more specifically about Corvette photography and the work that he's done with Chevrolet. You're listening to Corvette Today, the podcast. VetFinders.com is the Internet's original Corvette classified ads website, with classified ads starting at just $25, and every ad runs until your Corvette is sold. If you're in the market for a Corvette, VetFinders.com has over 500 Corvettes for sale from all around the USA and Canada and covering all eight generations. 
operations. Visit VetFinders.com, the Internet's destination for buying and selling Corvettes. That's V-E-T-T-E Finders.com. This is the Corvette Today podcast with Steve Garrett. Hey, thanks for listening to Corvette Today. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. We're with renowned Corvette photographer, Richard Prince. In the third and final segment, we're going to talk more specifically about Corvette. Richard, how many years have you been shooting for Chevrolet and Corvette? My photography with the Corvette Racing Program began in 1997, which is the year that the program hit the track and began testing in preparation for the race debut in 1999. I don't remember specifically which year I began photographing production cars, production Corvettes for Chevrolet, but it was the C5 era, so it was the early 2000, 2003 or four around there. Do you have like a memorable Corvette shoot or a story related to those shoots that you did? Oh boy, there's so many. Some of the more memorable Corvette racing shoots have been the annual team photos at the 24 Hours of Le Mans, France, each June. Those are great pictures. Five or six years ago, we transitioned from doing sort of a standard setup team photo, place the cars, gather the team around, put the drivers next to the cars, put all the mechanics and the engineers around, to doing what I would call themed photos, photos with a sort of a message. They've been pretty complicated some years and have required a tremendous amount of planning and forethought and help with the execution. They've been tremendously fun, and the racing fans out there have been really appreciative, have expressed their appreciation for those photo shoots. We've done, as I said, four or five of those, maybe six now, and of course had another one planned for this year, but the pandemic put the kibosh on that, so the race was postponed, and unfortunately this year Corvette won't be racing at Le Mans. Some of the more memorable production car photo shoots. Well, one <laughs> this is Chevrolet, but not Corvette specifically. I did a lot of the early Camaro photography for Chevrolet, and there was a, a real interesting one in South Florida with the first photo-ready Camaro. It was actually an early development car that had been hammered on track, but they refinished it the exterior to make it photo ready. And this was actually several years before the car made its debut. It was a non-production car. It had a lot of parts on it that were not compliant or had not been certified for road use. So the car could not be operated on public roads that were open to the public. I was asked to photograph it on the road. So I had to go through an arduous process to get permits and close roads and have security. And at one point, had the Rickenbacker Causeway closed down in Florida. Wow. Yeah, that was quite a complicated adventure to get the Camaro shot. A lot of the Corvette photography, the production car photography, has been done on racetracks like VIR and Road Atlanta and Mid-Ohio, Laguna Seca. That's been very, very satisfying. Perhaps the most memorable Corvette photo shoot was just done earlier this year. Last year, I got together with the nice people at Chevrolet who I work with, and we were discussing the coming C8 and C8R. We're thinking about what we could do to help further the marketing message and the overall messaging for the car. 
I very casually proposed for the race car, how about if we get together an authentic and significant example of a Corvette race car from each of the eight generations for a single photo shoot? And everyone loved the idea immediately, but then, of course, the execution made it seemingly impossible just getting that many cars together in one place at one time and doing it without a massive budget because it's complicated to bring cars from disparate places around the country and a racetrack and then, of course, the CA ours are the rarest of the rare. There were only two in existence, and every moment of their time was accounted for already. They were in the midst of a very serious development program for the coming season, for the 2020 season. So it got put on the back burner, but it was always sort of on my mind. I said, one way or another, I'm going to find some means to get this done. When I learned that the team was testing at Sebring in February, that would be the final track test before the 12-hour race that was coming up a couple of weeks later, the light bulb lit up in my head and the gear started grinding and I thought, well, Sebring is one of my favorite tracks for photography. Chevrolet has a long-standing relationship with that track and I have a long-standing relationship with the track. The track manager, Wayne Estes, has been absolutely 100% on board, as cooperative as can be. The entire staff there has always been as cooperative as can be in trying to help me get the seemingly impossible done. So I thought, well, the C8Rs are going to be there. It's the best track in the world for me to work with, to get track time and get whatever I need. Immediately, three cars came to mind for this eight-generation photo shoot already being in Florida. I made a list of an authentic and significant Corvette race car from each of the eight generations, and right at the top of my list were some of the cars that live in Florida. Those include Bill Towers' 1956 SR2 and Bill Towers' 1963 Corvette Grand Sport. And Steve Golden owns one of the John Greenwood wide-body C3 race cars. That car lives in Florida. You won't find a better C3 than Steve Golden's Greenwood wide-body. You won't find better examples of C1 and C2 race cars than Bill Towers' SR2 and Grand Sport. So I got in touch with Bill Tower and I got in touch with Steve Golden, told them what I wanted to do, and they were both immediately on board. So then I had a C1, C2, C3, and the C8s. I needed to fill in the voids with a four, five, and a six. I contacted uh, Todd Christensen and Mike Stauffer at Chevrolet and said, hey, here's what I've kind of got going so far. I need a C5R and a C6R, and Chevrolet has kept examples of all the generation race cars. Can you guys get going and ship me a C5R and a C6R to Sebring? They were immediately on board with that, so then all I needed was a C4 race car. I didn't happen to know of one in Florida, but of course, when it comes to C4s, the Corvette Challenge cars are what come to mind. So I contacted Lance Miller. Many know Lance Miller through Carlisle Productions. He's a super passionate enthusiast and a super good guy and told him what I was doing and said, do you happen to know of a C4 in Florida? And he didn't have to think for very long and said, uh, yeah, there's a C4 Challenge car. And he provided contact information for me. That was it. We were on our way. There were a lot, a lot of bumps in the road for that photo shoot, uh, a lot of obstacles to overcome. Ultimately, we were able to get that done. At that point, every generation, I had the track, and we were on our way. It turned out to be infinitely more complicated than I probably anticipated. A lot of bumps in the road, but with help from the car owners and from Wayne and his staff at Sebring, from Corvette Racing Program Manager Ben Johnson and the entire team and 
the folks at Chevrolet. We managed to overcome every obstacle, but it was super stressful. It was by far the most complicated and intense Corvette photo shoot I think I've ever done. Yeah, but what a great picture. Yeah, we ended up with one window of time for sunrise on the track, and we're dependent, of course, on the weather. And thankfully, Mother Nature smiled on us. We got a beautiful sunrise, overcame all obstacles through the efforts of everyone involved to get that done. That's wonderful. Now, you've published three books too, Richard. Talk about your books and where someone can buy one of those books. Yes, I have published three books. Two of them are buyer's guides for early Corvettes, a C1 buyer guide, a C2 buyer guide. And the third one is a C3 1968 to 82 Corvette restoration guidebook. Oh, nice. I think the C3 restoration book is the only one that's still in print. All of them were done quite a long time ago, more than 20 years ago. The publisher was Motor Books International. The books are still available from the publisher, Amazon or any of the internet sites. Those books are still floating around. I know the restoration guidebook, I believe, can also be bought through the National Corvette Restorer Society, the NCRS. If someone wants to get in touch with you, Richard, give them your website URL and how they can reach out to you, either by email or by phone. Yeah, I'm easy to find. My website is www.rprincephoto.com. You have to put the R before Prince, like Richard Prince. My contact info is on there. My email address is richard at rprincephoto.com. And that's prints like my name, T-R-I-N-C-E, not a photographic print. So it's richard at rprincephoto.com photo.com or call me 631-427-0460. Before I let you go, Richard, I have to find out what Corvette or Corvettes are in your garage right now. (laughs) Well, yeah, I've been a Corvette owner continuously since the 1970s and have always had (laughs) more than one in the garage. Oftentimes they're not operable. They're in one state or another of restoration. I'll tell you about one that's in the garage now. It's a 66 coupe. We uh, weren't looking for, didn't want another car, didn't have room for another car, didn't have time for another car. It just found me. It was close by, about 10 minutes from my house, and an acquaintance knew about the car. He was looking at it to buy it. And he didn't know much about vintage Corvettes, so he called me with some questions. I told him what to look for. We did that for four days in a row. And on the fifth day, I said to him, just buy the car. Without even seeing it, from your description and from the photos, I can tell you it's underpriced. It's worth more than the seller's asking for it. It's a good car. You can't go wrong. Just buy it. And he called me and said, well, I appreciate all the help you gave me. I'm in the midst of a really, really bad divorce. I want this car very badly, but it's just going to be one more thing we have to fight over. It's simply the wrong time in my life. I can't buy it now. But you've been so helpful. Here's the seller's information. Maybe you want to buy it. Well, I looked at the seller's name and number on my desk for two weeks thinking, yeah, if I go look at it, I'm going to buy it. (laughs) Where are we going to put it? And I already have several Corvettes in the garage and I have a Camaro that I've owned for more than 30 years that hasn't run since 1997 and needs attention. I don't need another Corvette, but that number kept staring back at me. I called it one day and ended up buying the car. Didn't intend to keep it. I was going to drive it a little bit and then probably sell it. And here we are. I think it's 16 years later. (laughs) It's a keeper, isn't it? Yeah, it became another car in the garage. And everything worked when I bought it. But then so busy with work, the car sat and then the brakes started leaking and so on and so forth. But I took the opportunity earlier this year because of the pandemic 
Racing was shut down. I was largely unemployed. I took the opportunity to get in the garage almost every day and get to work on that car. And did get it back on the road, back running. Everything works. It's a 66 coupe, base engine car. It's got a 327-300 horse engine with a lot of nice options, power steering, brakes, windows, tele-column, air conditioning, knockoff wheels. That's the one that I've been enjoying lately. I can get in it and turn the key. And I've been putting two or 300 miles a week on the car when I'm home. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. Well, Richard, thank you so much for your time. I enjoyed the stories. I'm sure everybody listening to Corvette today is going to enjoy this as well. Thank you very much for being my guest on Corvette today. Oh, you're welcome. It's been my pleasure. I enjoy your podcast very much, and I'm sure that other Corvette enthusiasts enjoy it equally as much. Thank you, Richard. Mr. Richard Prince, the renowned Corvette photographer on Corvette Today. Thanks once again to our flagship sponsors of Corvette Today, Haltech Systems at HaltechSystems.com. Make sure you get your special Corvette Today discount of 11% using the code CT11 at HaltechSystems.com or call 262-965-4300 and MidEngineCorvetteForum.com. You've been listening to Corvette Today with Steve Garrett. If you'd like to contact Steve with any thoughts on the podcast or ideas for guests on Corvette Today, you can email him at stevegarrettdj at gmail.com. That's stevegarrettdj at gmail.com. Garrett has two R's and two T's. Or connect with Steve on social media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram using at stevegarrettdj. Thanks again for listening to Corvette Today.